And on that note, we're continuing our series on it's all about relationships. And God created us not to just believe in Him, but He also created us to belong. Amen. And we find that sense of belonging in relationships, relationship with our spouse, with our kids, with family, with friends, with our church community, in our small group. Amen. So Genesis chapter 3, as we continue, this is our launching pad for this series. And in verse 1, it says, the serpent, the enemy, was the shrewdest of all the animals God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the midst of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave to me. <laughs> Who gave me the fruit and I ate it? And then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So we've been talking about, and we introduced last week, the fears that destroy and hinder and limit our relationships with one another. And we actually began with the antidote, and I want to do that again this morning in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, and it's up on the screen. It says, wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Will you say that with me? Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. And so because of sin, because of their disobedience, because of them leaning on their own understanding and deciding to live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus living life from the tree of life like God designed, Adam and Eve began to experience fear. They began to uh, feel a sense of shame and a whole gamut of emotions that God never intended for them to experience. 
And the primary one is fear. And these fears run their course. And we all experience these fears at some level at various seasons in our life. And so the first one we talked about, the first fear that we discover in this passage is it's the fear of exposure. It's the fear of being found out. It's the fear of others realizing that maybe I'm not everything my Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok. I'm trying to name all of them. Maybe I'm not everything that I portray myself to be. Maybe I'm not quite as confident or secure or together. And so fear of exposure, it makes me, it makes me distant. And come on, we all have issues in our lives that we don't like. Amen? We're all a work in progress. And there's a healthy view of I'm a work in progress. But if we allow that fear to go to an unhealthy extreme, then the things I don't like in my life, I, I, I can become fearful that if I don't like them, then you're surely not going to like them. And so I keep my distance so that you don't discover them. Amen? And this can happen in marriage. It can happen with our kids. It can happen with our friendships. It can happen in church. You know, church is one of those places we, you know, every Sunday that we can hide behind our Sunday smile. Right? And uh, we, we show up and people ask how we're doing. I'm fine. I'm highly favored and extremely blessed. You're lying through your teeth. You just had a fight with your spouse in the car on the way here. Your kids are driving you crazy. You kicked the dog. You screamed at the cat. You flipped someone off on the way here. Right? But because I fear exposure, because I fear you won't accept me, and that's I'm getting ahead of myself going into number two, like fear exposure, well, then I'm just going to keep my distance and I hide behind this facade. And many times we do it in church. The facade is a scripture verse because who can, and I'm not saying every time someone quotes a verse, it's a facade. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that quoting a verse can become a facade we hide behind. I didn't ask you what your favorite verse was. I asked you how you were doing. And if you're not doing okay, it's okay to say, I'm not doing okay. I'm struggling. This has been a tough week. Right? So that, that's okay. I said, that's okay. Amen? And so we can fear exposure. So fear always causes us to hide. And, and that's the thing. Our deepest need is to be loved. That's our deepest need. So at the same time, you have this deepest need that's screaming to be met. And yet, this fear of exposure is screaming right along with it. Does that make sense? No wonder so many people are looking for love in all the wrong places. Amen? And so then we shared some things that 
uh, drive this fear. And one is shame. Um, notice in verse seven, it says that they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Fear is often based in shame. How do you know if you're carrying a lot of shame? Um, you're easily embarrassed. I'm not saying we're never embarrassed. That's a human emotion. But for, for you, if you're carrying a whole lot of shame, um, it, you're very easily embarrassed. Instead of being able to laugh at yourself, um, you're not able to do that. You have this image, you have this persona, you have the, and, and man, you don't want your kids embarrassing you. You don't want your spouse embarrassing you. You don't want, if, if someone knows where you live or the, or, it, you know, that maybe you try to keep up with the Joneses and you can't, uh, you can't afford what you're driving, but you do that because out of shame, I don't want them to think less of me. Come on, talk to me, somebody. Hmm? And, and so shame is when you're, you're easily embarrassed. It makes you more self-conscious. It, it makes you nervous. It makes you fearful of being humiliated. If those are some of the things that you struggle with, that can be an indicator that you're carrying around a sense of shame. And the good news is, is Jesus came and he bore our sin and our shame at the cross so that we could be set free. The second is cover up. Later in verse seven, it says they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. Today, we don't use fig leaves. We use TikTok. We use Snapchat. We use Instagram. We use Facebook, right? Oftentimes, we use social media. Some people go to the other extreme. They don't cover up at all. They just let it all hang out on Facebook. We don't like that either. Dude, that's private, dude. We just really don't care about your political view or what you think about Trump. We could care less. I'm glad that went over well. Yeah, most people could care less about your political view. We need to realize on social media... Um, you're, you're never going to have a meaningful conversation about anything on social media. The majority of time, the audience there, they could care less about your opinion and they have their own and, and you're not going to change it. So why engage it? Amen? We want to do that. Let's go get a cup of coffee at Starbucks and let's really talk heart to heart, face to face. Then we can engage, and then we're able to clarify without typing 50 million long text, right? We go, so what you're saying is, no, no, I know that's what I said, but that's not what I meant. What I meant was, da, da, da. oh, see, and that saved this big long thread of me attacking because I assumed this is what you meant when you said this because of my filter, because of, does this make sense? All right, I'm just getting that out there because we're coming up to a new election, and come on, let's be wise, Amen. Let, let's use social media wisely. Let's use it responsibly. Amen. And, and let's remember to let God's love rule and reign supremely in all our engagements about anything on Facebook. Amen. And listen, I know we all have political views. Thank God we live in a country where we have that liberty and freedom. So listen, if someone's view is different from yours, why don't you be a good Christian and a good American and respect their ability to choose what they choose instead of attacking and demonizing? Glad that went over well. Amen. That's all I'm going to say today. And listen, I, and listen it, we're just, 
it's going to be a very politically charged. We already have come out of a very politically charged season. Um, and, and so this is going to be a very political, any election is politically charged. And so let's use wisdom. Amen. And so they covered up. And then the third, third thing that happened is they distanced from God. Verse eight says they hid from God among the trees. And the thing I want you to notice is you're going to see this theme from Genesis through Revelation that God is always pursuing a relationship with humanity. Amen. He never quits. He, he never gives up. His love is never exhausted. His mercy is new every morning. And so from Adam's very fall, we see God showing up, not to ream him out, not to lecture him, huh? but to restore and to redeem the relationship he had. And so he asked Adam, where are you? Amen. Jesus uh, reiterated, reiterated that theme when he taught us how uh, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one, the parable of the prodigal son, the father who looked every day anxiously waiting and anticipating his lost son to come back home and be restored to the father's house. Amen? That's always been and always will be. The heart of God is to go after, to pursue, not to punish, not to beat up, not to tell you how horrible you are, but to redeem, to restore. Amen? To bring back into fellowship. And so the second fear, so we have this fear of exposure. It makes us distant. The second fear we got to deal with and I hit on it a little bit, is the fear of disapproval. And the fear of disapproval, the or we could call this the fear of rejection, it, it can make me defensive, right? It can make me defensive. And I think that's really behind a lot of the political things is someone shares something politically or, or they share an opinion and then someone comes back, whether intended or not, and it's, it's, it's different and, and they feel attacked, right? They, or they feel rejected. They feel, um, and, and so then they get defensive, right? And then come back with, well, you're stupid for thinking, right? And then here we go, right? So fear of disapproval, it makes me defensive. In verse 12, God asks, did you eat what I told you not to eat, Adam? And Adam answered, you gave me this woman and she gave me the fruit, so I ate it, right? Hmm? So the, the blame game uh, happened. So instead of owning his mistake, and it did, still didn't change God's love, his pursuit, okay? But instead of owning what he did, when whenever we fear disapproval. So Adam, sin created this filter that God was angry, mad, and disapproved of Adam. Instead of disapproving of what he did, Adam took it. Remember, shame is different than guilt. Guilt says, I did something I shouldn't have done. What I did, I shouldn't have done. What I did was wrong. Shame says, who I am is wrong. Are you with me? 
There's a big difference, right? That's why we've learned not to tell our kids when they do something bad, you're a bad boy, right? No, what you did was bad. Hmm? Your behavior was bad, wasn't wise, huh? But I love you, who you are, right? And we don't attach shame. And come on, some of us, we were raised in households. That's how our parents got us to behave is they use shame. They use guilt. And then many times what happens is we transfer that approach to the Lord. And so now it's this sense of shame and guilt of condemnation. And that's the motivation. Instead of being motivated by God's love to, to reach out, to give, to come to church, to care for others, now the motivation gets mixed with the sense of, well, I feel bad if I don't. It's guilt. It's shame. It's, and I don't like that. And so, and that's a lot of times where burnout happens. Amen. We end up doing more and giving more than we should out of a sense of guilt instead of being motivated and prompted and energized by the love of God. Does that make sense? Amen. Big difference. And so he begins to blame. And not only blaming Eve, he ends up blaming God, right? You gave me this woman, Lord. So he gets very defensive because he thinks the Lord is disapproving of him, of who he is, that something is wrong with, with him, right? And so he gets very, very defensive. This, this happens in your marriage. This happens in our relationships. This happens with our kids all the time, right? If anybody said, and listen, um, we, we learn in our marriage, we learn in our relationships, we try to learn with our kids that it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. But you got to understand too that, listen, you're looking at, this is God. And God is the perfect heavenly father. And he wasn't attacking Adam, he was dealing, did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat? So he wasn't, there was no condemnation. There was no, did you eat from that tree? Right, like our, right? Did you get that hatchet and swing it at your brother like I told you not to, right? So, so it's not, it's not that, all right? Some of you are like, oh, how'd you know that? I had an older brother, younger brother. We, it's amazing we're alive. Anyway, that we'd kill each other. But uh, yeah, so God is, did you eat from the tree? There's this concern. There's this, there's this restoring aspect, but Adam doesn't take it that way. Amen. And so many times that's what happens with us is many times our spouse doesn't, doesn't mean it. Maybe that the tone needs to be changed, but, but all of us, we've probably experienced times in our relationships with our kids, with our friends that we did our best to try to have the most sensitive tone. And yet, the person still felt like we attacked them. Well, why is that? Fear of disapproval. Right? Uh, fear of rejection. Fear, I, I'm not okay to you anymore. Amen? And sometimes, you know, it's good to remind them to sandwich it and go, listen, um, th there are times what you do isn't okay with me, but you need to know, you as a person, who you are, you'll always be okay with me. 
So when I bring something up, always know it's in the context of I love you and I care about you. It's not because I'm not okay with you. Does that make sense? And especially when our kids are little, we may have to reinforce that when they're young and let them get that on the inside of them. Then when someone brings something up, they have the wherewithal, they're able to process, hey, can we talk about something? And they don't get defensive. It's healthy, amen? Instead of perceiving that as a threat and rejection. Does this make sense? Okay, so it happens in our marriage. It happens in our relationships, um, you know, if anyone says something that we feel, and again, I think that's why, again, social media has become what it is, is it's this fear of disapproval, right? I mean, obviously, Republicans and Democrats, they don't approve of each other's platforms. It's why they're, it's why they're different, right? And so oftentimes, it's this fear of 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 disapproval because you disapprove of my party platform or my opinion or my point of view, whatever that may be, whether it's who's in office or healthcare, you name it. It doesn't matter what the issue is, but the fear of disapproval is gonna make me defensive. Instead of engaging me, instead of having a meaningful conversation, now I'm gonna get defensive and I'm gonna dig a hole and I'm going to plant my feet and I'm going to get more rigid on, on why I'm right and why you're wrong. And this makes sense. And so again, you, you see this all through social media, this fear of disapproval. And so it happens in our marriage, our spouse, um, man, if we even feel a hint of disapproval, many times we immediately get defensive, don't we? Man, I, and I still do still struggle with this. And Shelly can go, hey, I want to share that. And she'll frame it and frame the context. But man, it's amazing how that fear of disapproval button can still get punched. Come on, talk to me, somebody. And they can say, hey, I just want to bring this up. Just something for you to consider. Just for you to, I something I noticed. What are you saying is wrong with me? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing is wrong. Nothing's wrong with you. This just concerns me. Why does it concern you? Come on, talk to me, somebody. Please tell me I'm not the only one. Hmm? Right? And we, we just get defensive and we either explain it, attack back, or accuse you or say something catty back. Well, yeah, well, that may be something I struggle with, but you know what you struggle with? Right? So then we get into this tit for tat. So the fear of exposure makes me distant. My fear of disapproval, it, it, makes me, it makes me defensive. And here's the third one. The fear of losing control makes me demanding. See, the result of Adam and Eve's sin is they lost control. They lost control of everything. They lost control of their future. They lost control of their destiny. They got kicked out of paradise. Now they're feeling totally out of control because they were, right? And so now they're trying to control anything, uh, any situation they can make. So the more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling 
you become. And here's what happens is we start making demands. We start self-protecting. Um, hmm? Commands, yes, I watch it. Inside joke, our first year of marriage. Uh, Willie and Lucy were there uh, at that marriage retreat. So yeah, I commanded Shelly to get on her too because I thought she was going to die. Never been able to live that down. Yeah, I am trying to control the situation because I feel totally out of control. The river is going to suck my wife down to the abyss and I'll never see her again. That is my fear. And yeah, so I'm commanding her to get on your tube now. And so when we get back to the camp, everyone's like, I command you. Get, and I'm like, shutty. <laughs> hey, I think that was the last time I commanded you to do something though. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we start defending, we start demanding, we start demeaning, we start dominating. See, the more insecure you are, the greater you have the need to get your own way. I'm going to say that again. The more insecure you are, the greater you have the need to get your own way. And verse 16, God says to Eve, you'll have yearnings for your husband, but he will lord it over you. The Berkeley translation or version says, he will dominate you. And this is where the war of the sexes began, right there. Who is going to be in charge, right? And this is where guys take that verse in Ephesians and they don't know any other verse in the Bible, but they know one. Wives, submit to your husband, right? Now you ask them, what does John 3.16 say? I don't know. You know, what does Roman pull any other verse out of the Bible? They don't know, but you know what? They know wives submit to your husband, AKA, you're supposed to do whatever I say and whatever I want. And all you got to do is marry a strong-willed woman and then tell me how that works out for you. Huh? Yeah, you marry some docile, people-pleasing wife, that may work okay. But you know what? You marry a strong-willed woman who has a will of her own, good luck with that. I, that will be interesting to watch. <laughs> okay. So this is where all the misunderstanding between men and women, husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, all the confusion, all the conflict, all the jockeying for power and position, all the tit for that, tat, all the bargaining on who's going to be in control, who's going to run the situation, all that can be traced back to there. But the good news is there's an answer and there's an antidote. And before we ever see in Ephesians, wives submit to your husbands, there's actually a very interesting verse, guys, that we often overlook before that verse that says we're to submit to one another in love. 
submit to one another in love. The antidote is love. The antidote to jockeying for power and position is love. And that's why I believe God's kingdom, it, it, it's a kingdom that operates on the basis of love. That's why Jesus said, greater love has no man, no man than to lay down his life for his friends. And he said, hey, the way I loved you, being willing to sacrifice and give my life for you. Now, he's God. He could have demanded, you bow down, you worship me, you follow me, you blew it in the garden. I'm tired of you blowing it. Follow me because I'm the real God. He had every right to do that, but that is not love's way because love does not seek its own. And love doesn't demand and love doesn't demean. And so Jesus showed us the way of the kingdom and the way of the kingdom is love and love is patient and love is kind and love doesn't lord it over and love doesn't demand and love doesn't control. And Jesus proved that. He demonstrated his love for us, Romans says, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And he showed us the way to love. And then he said, as I loved you, love each other that way. So submit to one another in love. And it's been said before, but it's worth repeating that when we really love our wives like Christ loved the church, most women I know, they don't have a problem submitting to that kind of love. What they have a problem submitting to, and not just women, but everybody, what they do have a problem submitting to is when they sense that there's an ulterior motive. And it's not in love. It's not something that's sacrificed on their behalf. It's something you're demanding that they may or may not be willing to do or give. And you're demanding it. So there's only one antidote to all of these fears and it's love. 1 John 4.18 says, wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Amen? Because God's perfect love drives out all fear. So you want to get rid of fear? You got to get God's love in there. Whatever you're afraid of, not just in relationships. Maybe you're, you're afraid of failing in sports. Get God's love there. That's weird. Oh, really? Get God's love there. Maybe you're afraid of what's going on in your health. Get God's love there. Maybe you're afraid of what's going on in your finances. Get God's love there. Wherever you have a fear, and listen, I know guys where I go, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah, that just proves you are. Hmm? You're trying to talk yourself. We all do. We all battle with the fear of something. Fear of loss, fear, whatever that fear is, get God's love there. God's love is the antidote to any and all fear. His love, dry, and listen, fear isn't some, something that 
you, you will yourself, I'm not gonna be afraid, I'm not gonna be afraid, I'm not gonna be afraid. No, fear is something, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. It drives out fear. So the closer, the more you realize, that's why I love all the songs we sing about the overwhelming, endless, the reckless love of God. And maybe it sounds like a repeating record. Why? Because love is the antidote. The greatest of these is love. Love never fails. Amen? And so it's his love when it comes in. Love drives out the fear that motivates us to do so many crazy things. The majority of the crazy things we do is out of fear. Why do we buy things with money we don't have to impress people who don't care? Because we're afraid of what they'll think of us. Why do we fear sharing how I really feel to someone? Because fear, if you know what, I share 90%, but if I share that extra 10%, they may reject me. So the only thing that empowers us to have that level of intimacy in our relationship where we can share and talk about anything and everything is God's love. Because his love drives out all fear. Amen? See, the opposite of fear is not faith. We've been taught that. Okay? That the opposite of fear is faith. It's not. The opposite of fear is love. Amen? The opposite of fear is, is love. I love this quote. I read this. I posted this on uh, Instagram this morning. I love this quote by Dr. Henry Cloud. I read this morning. He said, it's scary to realize that the only thing holding our friends to us isn't our performance or our lovability or their guilt or their obligation. The only thing that will keep them calling, spending time with us and putting up with us is love. And that's the one thing we can't control. But how liberating it is to know that you know what? I can't make God or you or anyone else, I can't make you love me. God is love. He just, that's who he is. Uh, and how liberating that is, amen? Well, it's also liberating in your relationships as well. So how do we get set free? How do we build the relationships that that God wants in our lives? I'm going to give you a few things I think will, will help you. We got to learn to live in God's love. Amen. Uh, and in John 4.18, um, 1 John 4.18, the second part of that verse, it says that it's the thought that, that fear, there is no fear in love, and that fear involves punishment. Fear, it's the thought of punishment that makes a person fearful. I'm going to say that again. It's the thought of punishment that makes a person fearful. So go back to the garden. Go back to the passage in Genesis chapter 3 that we were reading where Adam said, hey, I, I, I was naked and so I was afraid. Well, why was he afraid? Because somewhere he bought the lie from the enemy. And remember, the enemy's a liar, right? He came from, no, the day you eat of it, you won't die, lie. 
And so a lie was sown about the image of God and the story, the narrative of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation is God redeeming his image, who he really is and what he is really like and revealing that to his people. And it culminates in Christ, who is the image of the invisible God and who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't need any more parables, any more examples, any more stories. Any more. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. God spoke in various times in various ways through the prophets all through the Old Testament. But in the last days, he has spoken through his son with a big exclamation mark. This is what I'm really like. Let there be no question about it. And he is love. Huh? And you see the way Jesus dealt with people. And in all honesty, if you were ever going to accuse Jesus of being harsh, he was only harsh with one group of people, and that was mean religious people. But he was the friend of sinners. The only people that really kind of annoyed him were the religious people that tried to throw him off a cliff. That God in the way of and confused the, the image of the Father and how he felt about people. Are you with me? And so it's this thought of punishment that makes a person, why do kids lie? Because they don't want a spanking. Why do you lie to your spouse? Because you don't want to lecture on the 10th cap you bought. When she says you don't wear the previous eight, how many do you need? As many pairs of shoes that you have. That's not fair. You're welcome, guys. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> You're like, this series is supposed to help us. You just gave us fuel for our fights. <laughs> You're welcome. No, we got we to gotta learn to live in God's love. What is the thought of punishment? It's thinking about the negative consequences. How many times have you been afraid to tell the truth because of the consequences? How many times have you been afraid to be yourself because of the consequences? How many times have you gone to a party or gone on a date and you didn't want to say what you really believed because of the fear of the consequences? They're not, they won't ask me out again. They won't invite me to the next party if I really share what I think. Fear involves punishment. What's punishment? It's, it's negative consequences. So how do I live in God's love? Three things. How do I learn to live in God's love? Number one, we sang about it this morning. I love when worship just corresponds with the message. Every day, surrender my heart to God. Surrender your heart to God's love. And you know what? That's something we do on a daily basis. Amen. I've been uh, walking with Jesus for over... 30 years, actually over 35 years since I was 15. Actually, it's not been 35. Yes, it has. Wow. 
37. Be quiet, I didn't ask you. <laughs> Submit, woman. Can you see how fearful she is? She's like, you don't see her eye rolls up here like, whatever. 36, 36. Yeah, 36 years. And you know what? I still am overwhelmed by his love. It's almost like you have this born again experience again. You have this realization that his love really is. Right when I thought I really started to come, no wonder Paul prayed in Ephesians. God, I pray that you'd open the eyes of their heart and they would see the depth and the width and the length and the breadth of your love for them. And they would know your love that goes beyond human comprehension. And then he ends that prayer with what we quote. We often quote it out of context, but the context of Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us is on the heels of him praying that God would show us how great his love is. Because sometimes what we've been through and the things we've experienced and the trauma we've gone through I don't know about you, there's sometimes when I step into a, a human need, the need of humanity, it is overwhelming. And I remind myself, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that abuse since that kid was three years old. And what looks like is irreparable damage to their psyche God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all can I, all I can ask, think, dream, or dare to imagine. By his power that works within me, that power, I believe, is the power of his love. Because in context, that's what Paul is praying about. He's praying, God, show him the length, the breath, your love that just is mind-blowing. Help them grasp it. Do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, we can ask or think. Why? Because his love changes everything. Changes everything. Amen? It heals the deepest wound. It goes to the cracks and crevices of our psyche. And thank God for therapists. Thank God for counselors. Thank God for people who are skilled and equipped and graced by God to help us. But there are aspects of our soul that it's only God's love going into those places of our hearts that could set us free. Amen? In Job chapter 11, Verse 13, I love this, 13 through 18. Write this down and meditate on this this week. It's so powerful. He says, surrender your heart to God. Turn to him in prayer and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then you won't be ashamed. You will be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge and your darkest night will be brighter than noon. Then you'll rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. How powerful is that? But it begins with surrender your heart to God. So every day I surrender my heart to the one who is love and to the one who loves me. Amen. 
Number two, the second thing is every day I remember God's love for me. Maybe that should be number one because that's what enables me to surrender is I remember the one who gave his life for me. And when I remember the price he paid, that makes it easy for me to give him my heart and say, my heart is yours. My life belongs to you. Amen? Every day, remember how much God loves you. Do you realize how much God loves you? Do you know that you are completely accepted? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform for it. You know what? Everyone is on God's A-plus honor roll, and it's based on what Jesus did for you, not on your performance. How good is that? Amen? Huh? And listen, I know we live in a world where, uh, and, and, and thank God, capitalism is probably better than all the other forms of government, but it's based on what you do. And what happens is that begins to bleed into our Christianity and we begin to live a quid quo quo, uh, uh, performance-based Christianity. If I do this, then God will do that. If I do, then he'll love me. If I do that, then he'll heal me. If I, if I do that, then he'll bless me. No, he'll do all that because he loves you. He'll do all that in spite of you. He'll do that because of who he is, not because of who you are. The same way, surely you don't think you love your kids at a greater level than God loves you. And we're that way with our kids. We feed them, even though sometimes we wish we wouldn't want to. <laughs> CPS would be called, and so we slide toast under the door. No, not really. Right? We feed them. We clothe them. We love them, even though they are yelling, I hate you. I love you. I hate you. I still love you. I hate your guts. Because we know an hour later, they're going to be sitting on our lap saying, Mommy, I love you. Daddy, I love you. Right? We know. Hopefully, if we're adults, we know. Amen? And God is the same way. He knows us. He made us. So, remember, I'm, you got to remember, I'm, un, I'm completely accepted. Titus 3.7 says, Jesus made us acceptable to God. And then, I'm unconditionally Loved. Isaiah 4, 54, 10 says, my love for you will never end, says the Lord. Never. It will never end. Never. Third thing God says about us is, I'm totally forgiven. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Does that mean it doesn't matter how we live? No, it doesn't matter how we live. There's consequences for how we live. But one of those consequences is not God changing the way he feels about you. Amen? Sin has consequences. It does. But you know what? One of those consequences is not a change in the barometer of God's love for you. It doesn't move the needle one bit. In fact, it may even move it more the other way because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I've learned as a teacher that little darling that is pushing all my buttons and I just, dear God, if they would bring back spanking, they would be the first. <laughs> I have learned and am learning. They're the ones that need my love and my affection more than the other kids. 
They're the ones that I try to mark and go, okay, the beginning of the day, I'm grabbing them, I'm bringing them in and going, hey, you look great today. You're going to have an awesome day. I love you. And some of them, that means a lot. Some of them look at you like, whatever, Mr. Nelson. (laughs) Yeah, I just keep telling them. I just keep telling them, keep telling them, keep telling them, keep telling them, keep brainwash them. Why? Because they've had all the other negative who knows what from how they grew up. Hmm? So uh, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. And then we're extremely uh, valuable to God. The Bible says that uh, God didn't spare his son and that we're much more valuable. We weren't redeemed with silver or gold or with perishable things, but that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. Todd, you'll remember this. There used to be this track that we used to use when we would go out on the street and on the drag witnessing, and I loved it. It was just a very short track. It was a perfect square folded and, and on the front, it said, what do you think you're worth? You remember that? And you open it up and it had a, uh, uh, the hand and wrist of, of, of Jesus with a nail through the wrist. And it said, uh, so up front, what do you think you're worth? Open it up. And it said, God thinks you're worth the death of his son. That's it. Just, it, when it, when it was our best, it was the go-to track back in the track attack days. Okay, in the 80s, that's how you witnessed. In fact, I had a, I had a track pack. In fact, I still, got a, I still got my track pack. huh? But you'd have all these tracks and you'd share them with people. And, and then on the back, it would have all the verses about John 3, 16, Romans 8, 5, how God loves us. Amen? I love it. I love it. What does God think you're worth? He thinks you're worth the death of his son. And then lastly, here's the third thing we do. Let me give you this big application. And, and I think this, it's probably more challenging at home than any other environment. And that is this. After I, I, um, I remember how much God loves me and I surrender to it. And then the third thing is this. Every day I, I want to offer that love to someone else. Beginning with Shelly. and then Drew and Josh, and I didn't intentionally leave off Christy. Um, she's still on that list, but she has a husband, so he's, he's the man in her life now, not me. Still love her a little bit. <laughs> but every day I offer, every day I offer God's love. John 13, 34, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Now imagine what our marriages would be like if we just did that. Imagine how confident, secure, well-rounded, and balanced our kids would be if we did that. And listen, know this. When I said that, I just sensed this. I've loved my kids and they still didn't turn out right. And I did everything I knew to do. Let me encourage you with this. God lost his kids in the garden and he was the perfect heavenly father. So mom and dad, quit beating yourself up. Stop. Don't beat yourself up.
the father was perfect and he lost his kids. Here's the thing you need to remember and here's what you come back. He lost them to a lie. He lost them to the lie of the enemy about him. Right? No, you surely won't die. God knows the day you, your, your eyes will be open. You'll, you'll know good. Right? And then they bought the lie in just from the enemy and themselves. Okay, I, I did this. I did something wrong. God's going to be ticked. Right? Because fear involves punishment. They hid because they were afraid God was going to punish them. Do you see any punishment whatsoever? There was a consequence. They got removed out of the garden. But you remember one of the reasons they got removed out of the garden, that wasn't so much punishment as it was to guard the way to the tree of life so they don't live in a perpetual sinful condition. That was protective. That wasn't punitive. Selah. So there were consequences. They did die. They were cut off. But they weren't cut off from God's love. They weren't cut off from His covering. They weren't cut off from His protection. They weren't cut off from who He was. Are you with me? So listen, know that the enemy, your, your kids, their struggle, with the thing to attack is the lies that they believe about God. About His love. That's what's clouding them. That's what's keeping them in bondage is this fear and this they don't know, they don't see. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. And the main thing he blinds them to is the depth and the reality of his love for them. If the Pharisees knew how much the Father loved them, they would never try to stone a woman caught in the act of adultery. The only reason you do that is because that's the image of the God you serve. Hmm? And Jesus turned that image on its head. I'll close with 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says, love never stops being patient. Love never stops believing. Never, love never stops hoping. And love never gives up. Listen. You can love someone without being codependent, enabling, and not having healthy boundaries. Are you with me? Love doesn't mean you allow someone into your house to steal you blind. That's not doing them a favor or you. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is love never stops being patient. While they're floundering, while they're hurting, while they're trying to figure out what life's about, while they're experimenting, while they're, while they're running from the Lord, I'm still patient, I'm loving, I'm believing, I'm hoping God's gonna break through. The Spirit of God's gonna show them how much He loves them. God's gonna send someone across their path. Amen? Love, com love never stops being patient, extending grace. And, and listen, come on, isn't, isn't that what makes us feel safe, valued, and wanted? then that's what other people feel. The thing you wish you would have got from your mom and dad, give that to your spouse. Give that to your kids. Give that to others. Amen.
Father, we thank you for this time in your word, and we thank you, Lord, that it really is all about relationships. And Father, um, Father, our relationships, we, we struggle, whether in marriage or with our kids or with other people. Father, we, we, we've discovered, Lord, that the root of all those struggles is some fear. Fear of being misunderstood, fear of being rejected. Lord, some fear drives the dysfunction in every relationship. And Father, we thank you that, Lord, we, we've learned and what we've always known is that the antidote always has been and always will be your love. Your love, perfect love, it drives out all fear. So Father, help us. Help us remember each and every moment how much you love us. And then, Father, help us surrender our hearts and our lives to the reality of that love so that not only are our lives impacted and changed, but, Father, then your love that's been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit is able to flow freely into the lives of others, beginning at home with our spouse and our kids and extending beyond that to our family, friends, and our community. And we just trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.